So I want to speak about five graces, or we could say five benefits of being in corporate worship. Can we have the overhead on? I don't know which, who has responsibility to, to make that happen. Worshipping Jesus is probably the most single more, most important thing we will ever do, is worshipping him. And we can worship him, as we said this morning, as we had our time of briefing, we can worship the Lord anywhere. His presence is everywhere. But there are dynamics and things that happen in corporate worship that do not happen and can't happen when you're on your own. So I don't want to minimize the soaking experience. I don't want to minimize personal encounter and developing your personal prayer life. But I do want to emphasize and make some points about the importance of us being together and participating together. Is that okay? Yeah? Wherever Jesus is, there's life. And when we come together as a company that believe, there is life. There is life in us. Amen? If you preach with me, we'll go fast. So we're going to talk a little bit about the fellowship of believers, but, but primarily what we do in terms of our uh, corporate worship together. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do you read the condition in that? We don't get cleansed from all of our sin unless we walk in the light of who he is. So when there's things hidden, when there's things that are closed off, the blood of Jesus is actually ineffective in us. Ooh, that was a bit harsh for the first point. But that's what it says. If we walk in the light, that's the condition. If we are in the light and we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So I can, through my openness and transparency, be... Um, uh, an initiator of the power of the blood working. I only saw that recently in this scripture. The blood of Jesus works every time. But in the context of our relationships, we're cleansed as we walk in the light, as we open up. Amen? That's nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. So five graces or benefits of, co of the corporate gathering. I really wish that my iPad did not close off every five minutes. <laughs> if you can do it quick, that would be great. But I need to read it at the same time. Okay. No. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. No. No, don't, don't worry. I'll just keep pressing it on. We'll do it later. It's lovely. Technology is fantastic if you know what to do with it. Um, someone has said this. There's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. Who would agree with that? You see, if you don't, or if you, if you go down the track of thinking... I can manage on my own, thank you, and I don't need this church, the body, then 
it causes an introspection that the enemy can actually use to destroy. God never meant for us to be alone. His first thing to Adam and Eve, Eve was, it is not good for man to be alone. So there's something we have to ask the Lord, what is it that makes me more, uh, more uh, what's the word, uh, enhances or causes a growth? Or what is it that is that dynamic in corporate worship? Um, so the first thing is that happens, oh, let me just read this quote. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of his will to his purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nation is, nature is capable of, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is original sin and the source of all actual sin. That's why I could say at the beginning, worshipping God is probably the single most important thing an individual can do because it takes you off self, which is the route to destruction. So we're talking about corporate now. Uh, so Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Actually, well, let's go to it because it'd be good to read the scripture and then you'll know that I'm not speaking heresy. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for who? Us, through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let who? Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let who? Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching." So all of this, entering by a new and living way, is a corporate commission and command. It isn't a you. He, the, the writer would have put, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for you, um, and having a high priest, uh, why don't you draw near with a true heart? He would have put it in the singular. He's speaking corporately in this passage. We draw near. We draw near. We have our hearts sprinkled. If, it's, if I'm in a context, in a, a corporate context, you're going to get an overflow of what I am in, and, you, and I'm going to get an overflow of what you're in. You come miserable, I'm going to get some of that misery. You come joyful, I'm going to get a bag full of joy. You come burdened down, I'm going to. That is going to. I'm going to feel it because we're spirit first. We are. We actually affect one another. You cannot walk through the door and not have an effect, whoever you are. Well, I'll just come and watch. It will affect the level of where we're going. I'll come in so passionate and enthusiastic, it will affect, she's not here so I can talk about her. Jean's been away, and, uh, and when she texted me while she was away to tell me what the Lord was speaking to her about, and she was so enthusiastic on the text, 
But more so when she got back, she said, I've got to see you. I've got to see you. I've got to tell you. So face to face, we had uh, some time this week, and she's just overflowing with what the Lord is teaching her at the moment, so much so that you're going to get the overflow in a few weeks, I think, because it's contagious. When there's life pouring through, it's contagious. So it behoves us all to connect to that life so that we're having a good impression and a good impact and a good outcome for others. Amen? Yes? You don't look very happy. Is it, is it me you're not happy with or what? Or is it just life? He's a good, good father. So we, it's a, it's a corporate thing. Acts 2.40 and Acts 4 both talk about the early church. You know the scriptures. You can look at them in your own time. But they talk about how the church formed and what they did together. Not one of them counted the things that they, can, that they had as their own. Now, I'm learning this now. I've been on the road a long time, but I'm learning See, Maria keeps wanting to borrow things. And now that she lives next door, it's easier. So I'm having to kind of come up and over all the time. Like, no, pardon? Yes, you gave me some butter yesterday. I know that. I know, I know. But what I'm saying is, it's a, I'm learning. I'm learning. I want to go to those scriptures. I, the reason being, I want you to see something. Because I think we, we read something that's, that's not in there uh, sometimes. Acts. And I want to make the point, Acts 2, 40. You can probably get there quicker than me. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. I'm reading uh, Acts 2, 40 onwards. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They weren't doing that at home on their own. They were doing that together corporately. They did it. They continued. And as they continued in that corporateness, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done. Now all who believed were where? Together. Say together. I'm telling you that this is totally in the face of, what I'm speaking today is in the face of an enemy that wants to divide the body of Christ. And in dividing the body of Christ, wants to divide and separate you and me. So whilst I'm looking at your lovely faces, I realize that there are principalities and powers that do not want this message to go out because it's going to rock your boat if you have to change something in order to align with what the Word says. It says they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all ha as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Daily with one accord in the temple. Not weekly, on a Sunday for two hours looking at the back of somebody else's head. Daily, in one accord, in the temple. We had one accord on Friday. No doubt about one accord. In, prayer, in that prayer gathering, that's all I can call it, there was a one accord that I haven't heard, seen, or felt. And it was glorious mayhem, yet Holy Spirit-fueled. 
So they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with people, and the Lord added to the church. Now if we keep going down to, uh, oh, that's 40. Let's go to 32 now. Um, Sorry, Acts 4, 32. Acts. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, And one soul. Neither did anyone say that any things he possessed was his own. This is community. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection. And great grace was on them. Nor was there any among them who lacked. For Now listen to this. This is what I saw. For all who were possessors of lands and houses. The Lord is not against us being prosperous. In fact, the Lord wants us to be prosperous. The Lord wants us to have riches in order to facilitate those that have less coming up to that level. It says, those who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Now, it does not say they sold them and they were in need and they then lacked and then now they were poor people. No, because God is blessing in order to bless. We actually are empowered when we give. When we give away, it means God can give us more. Am I speaking truth or what? It says so that nobody had a need and they sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the feet of the apostles and they distributed to each as anyone had need. I am really, really, really um, encouraged by being connected with Glory of Zion. One of the things that astounds me is the amount of giving there is and grace on the giving. Um, Every widow that is connected with that company Uh, over there, is cared for on a regular basis. Every widow. Why? Just because they're a widow. Because the Bible says, take care of the widows and orphans. And they are provided for by that community as if they were being husbanded in terms of their finance. My heart bursts with a longing for that. I've seen, I've seen things being done in a way that I haven't seen being done here in the UK, in a way that provokes me to reach out for more, Lord, so that we can be like that, do the things that the Word says to do. Not even on the notes yet, so stand by. Let's see. What a difference Jesus makes. He makes all things new in our lives. When we get saved, everything changes. Everything changes including our finances, and this isn't about finances, the things that are upside down in our lives, he makes the right way up. But he has a tendency to turn over some things that we thought were okay and turn them upside down. It's an upside down kingdom that we live in. It is totally contrary to the ways of the world, the thoughts of the world, the the operation of the world. And it should be a foretaste of heaven. I was in a meeting this week of leaders on, on Wednesday at the Ground Level Leaders Day, and we were talking about reproduction. We were talking about church reproducing itself and, and increase. But one of the things that, that the speaker at the time was saying was that our relationships we take for granted in the church. We take for granted. You take for granted the fact that you're in relationship with people that you can just reach out to and say, will you pray for me? The world does not have that. 
We take for granted the fact that you can connect to a company of people you know are going to meet here. Even if you don't come for the next 10 weeks, you know that in 10 weeks' time, when you've got your life sorted out, they're still going to be there. There will still be a remnant there doing the stuff, connecting from heaven to earth. We, we, don't, we don't prize highly the fact that the community that the Lord puts us in when we're saved is as rich as it is relationally. I count on you being truthful with me just as much as you count on me being truthful with you. I can't count on that. If I'm out there, Maria and I had to deal with, the, with something this week that concerned my dad, and it was in the, in the world place that potentially had darkness on it. And it was like, for me, I, I'm just, I couldn't count on whether the people that I was speaking to were speaking truthfully or not. I couldn't count on that. And here I look around and I think, if you all love the Lord and you don't want to offend the Lord, I have to count on you being truthful with me. I believe you will be. And you've got to believe that in me. Nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. You can't do that in the world. You cannot expect that in the world in the same way that you should be able to expect it in the community of believers. Are we still there? So let's get on to the points. The first thing that you and I can expect to occur for us and in us and with us when we're in uh, corporate worship is an, uh, an awakening. And um, now I've even forgotten my password. Somebody needs to just stand up here and keep pressing it for me. So, uh, sorry, sorry about this. Sometimes we can come to uh, to a time of corporate worship. You can come into church and you've had a bad week or you've had a bad time or just things aren't as clear as they need to be. In that time, how many of you have ever experienced the fog lifting and sometimes you get a clarity and you get a repositioning and you just think, wow, I'm different going out than I was coming in. And it's not just because I've praised myself happy. Something happens because there's a community of people gathered together. Now, uh, Martin Luther said this. He found corporate worship powerful in awakening his spiritual fire. At home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. I have sometimes had to come into corporate worship counting on the fact that you haven't had such a bad week as me. And therefore, when you express your worship to him, I can come into your overflow and get it. And that awakening is supposed to happen. The Lord has designed corporate worship for us to enjoy him. We're supposed to be taken up with him and enjoy it. So even in the hard knocks and the rough and tumble of the week, there's a place in the uh, in the coming together corporately where we can be lifted up and the breakthrough can come. Now, if you look at Psalm 73, let's go there together uh, because this shows you exactly how the psalmist puts it, Psalm 73. So he starts off in Psalm 73. God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. So he's going to start now having a bit of a moan about the context um, 
of where he's at. My, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. He's, t- he's looking around himself at the wicked, at those that don't know God. And he goes on. They've set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of, of, of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And there is no knowledge in the Most High. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Have you ever been in that place where you look around and you go, it's all right for them. They don't even know God and look at their lives. Look how they're prospering. Look how they're getting on with life. Who are always at ease, they increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chased every morning. If I had said I'll speak like this, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children when I thought how to understand this. And then in my scripture, I don't know what version you've got, it says, it was too painful for me. Lord, this is stressing me out when I see the wicked and the ungodly prospering and I'm in a mess. But then look what he says. Until, verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God, until I went to corporate worship, until I went with other believers, until I went with my brothers and sisters, until I went there. And when I went there, guess what happened? It all changed. Surely, it says, then I understood their end. Surely, you have set them in slippery places. It's not going to last for them. The Lord brings revelation. It's not going to last for them. Don't look at it as if you're being hard done to. Lift up your eyes and recognize the one who you behold and where you're heading. They haven't got that end. Start looking at what you're going towards. Is talking to the Lord, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they're brought to desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terror as a dream when one awakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved. Now he's starting to enter into intercession. And he's saying, Lord, I can now see their end. And oh my goodness, oh my goodness, look at the riches I've got. You shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire. And now he gets his perspective right in that place of corporate worship where he goes, gosh, they, are, they can have all the riches in the world. They can have it all right. They can have full health and full strength. But if in the end they haven't got God, they're worse than any man. So we should be coming to corporate worship with that, God, there's none in, on, upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God, I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. So we can take that psalm and say, just like him, I'm not going to be, be concerned so much that that is going to affect my worship. I'm going to set my face and worship the Lord regardless. Amen. So the first thing is awakening. 
The second thing we have when we are um, in corporate worship is an assurance. There is a confidence that the Lord wants to release in us when we're in corporate worship that you cannot get when you're on your own. It's the community dynamic. There was people like Luther and others of his time who stood against the flow and they stood as like a lone voice. But really, even when they stood up to defend the gospel and stood alone, they weren't alone because there's a company in heaven and a company on the earth. The Lord said to Elijah, there's still 7,000. I've still saved 7,000. Don't think that you're on your own. There are many, many born-again, spirit-filled believers that are just like us. So when we go live streaming, it won't just be us here. It'll be all those out there with us in this one gathering. But from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. So this, the Lord's done it this way. He's made us for community and he's named us the church being part of this great local and global community plays an important role in, ass in assuring us not only that we're not deceiving ourselves and pretending that what we're doing is credible, but also that we truly know who we have believed. Says in Timothy, I am persuaded. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you persuade me. You persuade me. Tell, you, tell your neighbor, you persuade me. This community is supposed to persuade you. It's supposed to persuade you. It's alive. It's supposed to persuade you. It's real. It's supposed to persuade you. It's worth it. It's supposed to persuade you. This is another opportunity to enter the glory realm and to touch heaven and bring heaven onto earth. By our feeble praying, by our limited worship, it's another opportunity to gather corporately and press in. It's another opportunity to express. Did you watch or did you see there was the group of um, dancers with the silks? Did you see Sophie dance around? Intentionally. Intentionally. It wasn't a playtime. It was an intentional all the way around. Persuading me that the spirit of the Lord is alive in the place. Hallelujah. And worship in the local church points us to the worship of the universal church that Jesus has a people from every nation and one day will include every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Hallelujah. Third thing. Oh, we've probably, that's all I've said, so you're okay. Third thing is advancement. Corporate worship plays an indispensable part in our progressive growth in being conformed to the image of Jesus. We have to have one another to knock the rough edges off. The moment we pull away from a group, we don't have that opportunity to be honed. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. Make me like a precious stone, crystal clear and finely honed. Ouch, ouch. Because we, the honing goes on through our brothers and sisters. I remember Bishop Bill Hammond saying, when somebody really gets under your skin and really irks you, go give them a gift. Put a fiver in an envelope. Give them a gift and say, thank you very much. And when they say, what for? Say, I only had one nerve left. You stood on it and you've helped me open up to God and get more grace. 
You've really irritated me. And because of that, I've pressed in to be more honed like Jesus. Can't do that if you pull away. You can't do that for someone else, and neither can they do that for you. You want to be finally honed? You have to rub up against other people that are going to do that. Pete came straight to us, and he said, I'm sorry for being an irritant if I was. The first thing out of our mouth was, you weren't. Because even if you were, it doesn't matter because it's pressed us towards something else. We're not here to make it easy for one another. We're here to actually um, cause the body to grow and mature, aren't we? So who wants to advance? I do. Christian growth is not something that we can take away as a sermon application and then work into our lives that week. This is what Tim Keller says. There are some aspects of sanctification that can happen on the spot as we sit under the preaching of the word and engage in corporate worship. God may well use you just sitting in the context of the, the corporate church to transform you. This scripture talks about as going from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And that is not easy when you pull yourself away or when you're not in corporate, a corporate gathering. God loves to change our minds, but he also loves to change our hearts. When we join in corporate worship, he changes our minds. Say change. So you can't, if we really believe that this was a place where the glory of God was, how can you go into the glory presence of God and not be changed? He's a fire. He's an awesome, mighty God. How can you not be enveloped by him and not be transformed? In the corporate gathering, we build his throne together. There is movement and momentum towards a manifestation. Do you like that? That was fresh bread, that. That came out of this morning. There is momentum and movement towards a manifestation of him. Hallelujah. In the corporate gathering, we have opportunity to gain strategy for war together. And in the corporate, we own the journey and we take responsibility together. And I think that was said earlier on in the, in the, in the worship, in the uh, watch briefing that we had. We, we do it together because we're community and we're family. Are you still with me? Number four, there's only five. This is very interesting. When we're in a corporate gathering, it's very different to when you're on your own. When you're on your own, you can choose how much Bible study you do. You can choose how much worship you have. You can do all the choosing, and it's all you. When you come into a corporate gathering, you're actually allowing someone else to lead you, whether it's someone leading worship or leading prayer. This is, I think this is the clincher. Because it's an actual opportunity to let your heart be right before the Lord regarding authority. You see, I am aware that people leave churches but still want the relationship with people but not the leader. 
It's got to be this issue. It's got to be this issue. Because why, why, why? And I'm not talking about when people are called out, we move on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when there are issues with the church, the church, but then they don't pull back and say, the church, they say, still want relationship, but not with you. I face it all the time. And so I'm asking the Lord, teach me, Lord, what is the real crux of the matter? And it's all to do with the authority and leadership of the church. Because in corporate worship, you have to be willing to be led and it's all on show. Isn't it? So the Lord's looking at it. Because that's what he says. How you're going to treat the leadership is exactly how you're going to treat me. That's harsh. But I, I'm, I have to be led. I'm not talking about me being the big cheese. I have to do this. I have to, when somebody else is leading a portion of the service, whoever it is, I have to submit. I have to do exactly the same. It's not about Jenny and Steve or Dave and Jill or Maria. It's about us all learning to let somebody else lead that we might not like the look of or the sound of or they don't do it very well. It's the place of our initiative. If you want to take notes... The difference is the place of our initiative. Corporate worship reminds us that our faith is fundamentally reception, not our own initiation. The Lord invites us and we, we come behind his leadership. He's a good father, but he's a good leader. He is the leader of leaders. Sorry? Corporate worship reminds us that our faith is fundamentally reception, not our own initiation. In private devotions, we lead ourselves in some sense. In corporate worship, we are made to receive the leading of others. Now, this is where it really gets interesting. Have you heard the little story about the little boy in church? And his mum says, will you sit down? And he stood up. Because he's only about this big and nobody can tell he stood up. I've told you to sit down. He won't sit down. So she says, I'll make you sit down if you don't sit down. So he sits down and he says under his breath, I might be sitting down on the inside, but on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. Only God, only the Lord can move in such a way that he knows the motives and intentions of our heart. I have been in many, many, many meetings where I've been standing up on the inside but sitting down on the outside or vice versa. You want me to sing that song that way? You? If somebody else was asking me, I might. But you? I remember a long time ago. I mean, this is my rebellious days, I'll be honest. But we had this visiting speaker, came often to the church, but he always talked about the caverns of the damned, always. He always did. Lovely man, and he was a great friend of the family, of Steve's mum and dad's family. But his sermons were always dark, bleak, and to me, as a young person, I can't connect. 
And, and he came one Sunday and to the church, and as soon as I saw him, I thought, I'm out of here. And one of the leaders got me before I got to the door. Where are you going? I don't think I'm going to stay today. Why? I don't like him. And I don't like who's leading worship, and it's not going to work for me today. And this leader said, you sit there and you let the Lord deal with you. I mean, it was harsh in our day. You guys get it easy. Honestly, that's how the leaders dealt with us. You're part of the church, then you, you want to be honed like a precious stone. I'll tell you, some people want to be walking in destiny, but they're not prepared to have the harsh and the difficult. Not intending it has to be like that all the time, but this leader said, you sit there and you let the Lord deal with your heart. So I did, sitting down on the outside, standing up on the inside. And, uh, and it was this, the sermon that t- completely transformed me because he talked about uh, Jeremiah and the potter's house. And he said, the potter on the clay and all that. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me. And he said, but, but people don't go to the back of the potter's house and see the hard clay that is unyielding and will not submit and will not move with the flow of what the Lord is doing. And those pots are broken and can never be used. Right there, the Holy Spirit had me. And every time I hear the sermon about the potter, I know that's the Lord giving me a kiss. Because this was an issue for me. That's why I can see it and smell it. It was an issue for me. And God wants us to be yielding. I think we've got some work to do on understanding the authority structure of the church that the Lord puts around us to see it in a different way because it's not for our destruction, it's for our growth and our benefit. And how we respond to that will actually advance us or not. So corporate worship demands that we discipline ourselves to respond and not only pursue God on our own terms It's an opportunity to embrace being led and not always taking the lead. So in corporate worship, we allow someone else to choose how long we linger, how we're positioned to receive, etc., etc. So that's one thing you can't do when you're on your own. You can't can't yield to someone else's leadership. So um, the, the last one, I think I've said all this. The last one is accentuated joy. Say joy. This is a Swedish proverb. It's not in the Bible. A shared joy is a double joy. I like that. Uh, that there is a heightened experience of worship in the corporate context. Our own awe is accentuated. Our own adoration increased. Our own joy doubled when we worship Jesus together. And that means that we have a, a deeper and richer experience you know, I, I've, I've heard when we finished on Friday, although we finished the meeting, people did, still didn't go. They were talking about what we had experienced. And, and it should be like that. After we've been together corporately, we should be saying, when, when did you sense him? How did he touch you? What did you encounter? Shouldn't we? That should be our conversation that causes us to accelerate and keep ourselves open to him. Not, oh, they didn't talk to me today. <laughs> Be the one that initiates. Be the one that goes and overflows. Don't wait for someone else to come and service your need. In the giving, you receive. In the giving, you receive. So uh, 
the joy of the Lord is our. Therefore, the Lord has caused corporate worship to be a place where we have the opportunity to take our focus off self and onto the, what's beyond us so that joy might come, so that strength might come, so that we might accelerate and move together. So if you've got the five, our own or as I've said all this, uh, if you've got the five or you want the five again, awakening, assurance, advancement, accepting leadership, and accentuated joy. I hope that has blessed you, and I hope that's enabled you to see corporate worship in a more positive way, that there are benefits. There are things that the Lord wants to get to us.